Oh, 2020, what a year it's been. I think what triathlon has taught me is just to be myself. There's something about being the one who knows where you're going that is really empowering. So much of women's rights are tied up with women's sports. I was 54. I had a kidney transplant. If I can do it, surely you can do it. Hi, I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I This is the Iron Women podcast that you are listening to. I'm here with my wonderful co-host, fellow professional triathlete, U.S. Olympic marathon trials participant and participant. U.S. Yes. US actually... Olympic swimming trials completer participant. Completer. The <laughs> one and only Haley Chura. And I'm leaving off. Ironman champion, Ironman 70.3 champion, all of the good stuff. But I, I mean, the list is just too long, Haley. I can't remember Alyssa. that every week. It's just, you can't, you can't do that to me. <laughs> I needed this. Like, this is like the 2020, December 2020 boost that I needed. Um, I, I did complete the 200 backstroke in 2004 at the Olympic trials. I am very proud of completing that race. <laughs> um, I did also complete a marathon and that one was pretty cool too. I like completer. I'm going to add that to my resume. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it sounds very humble and, but for people who know, you know how big just completing those tasks is. So I would wear that completer. Maybe I'll get you a t-shirt made. The completer. feisty completer shirt. <laughs> and then Ellen, Ellen, there's a design idea. Feisty completer. Yeah. Cause the, the feisty shop is open and that would be a, I think that would be a good one. But Alyssa, how are you doing? Did you get to watch the big race this past weekend? Haley, I did. I was super pumped. I had a 13 mile treadmill run. And so I was all set up to stream and run. And I guess I timed it pretty I mean, I was running during the bike, basically. And so it was it was a little bit, you know, I probably should have timed it so I could run during the run because I feel like that's like a little bit more inspiring for the running. But I had this like second guessing of myself when I started because I was like, oh, no, I'm just going to be watching these women like bike around in circles for, you know, an hour and 40 minutes while I do this run. Like this isn't going to be interesting. And then Haley, I was like mesmerized through my whole run. It flew by. It was great. I really, really enjoyed watching. I enjoyed watching. I don't know if it's just because it was like a race. Finally, that was like really happening to get to see live or what. But the coverage I thought was fantastic. It was just so fun to see all of our friends out racing again and doing really good jobs. And um, yeah, it, it inspired me for my run. And I what, what did you think about how the race unfolded? So we, right. we, we both should probably say last the week. race we're talking about is Challenge Daytona. So oh, yeah. if you are happen to be listening to us for the first time ever, you didn't catch last week's episode. Last week we previewed Challenge Daytona. This week we actually were recapping it. Um, it was the biggest race of 2020 and for the triathlon world, at least. And it had, um, you know, it was put up by the professional triathletes organization, $1.15 million prize purse. I can't believe you were able to run while watching it because I had intended to ride the trainer while watching and I couldn't do it. I couldn't look away. I just kept watching the race. I couldn't believe it. It kept, you know, I was like, uh, you know, we're on the bike. Once I get on the bike, I'll get on the bike. And I was like, no, no, no. And I had like four different text chains going and I just couldn't do it all. So I had to like sit in old fashioned, just focus on the computer. <laughs> and it was, it was glorious. I had like four cups of coffee. I was fired up by the end. <laughs> I really enjoyed 
the I thought the commentators did an excellent job. I you know having Belinda Granger there, she's legendary in the sport. And you know if you if you want commentary on a race, you want Belinda there for sure. She's she knows what she's doing. She knows the sport. She knows the athletes. I have to say, there's like a special place in my heart now for hearing Rowdy Gaines like as a triathlon announcer. Um, it was it was interesting because you know they had Belinda, they had. Alicia Kay kind of like on the ground as like a reporter, right? Which made it very interesting. And I thought it was just so well done that they could, they had the commentators in the commentating box, I'm assuming. This is how it was, at least in my mind, I was imagining it. And then, you know, they were just kind of chatting through the race. Like people always say, like, how is triathlon something you would watch for hours? And it's like, this is how. You put the commentators up there. You put a few people out on motorbikes kind of bouncing around and you can be like checking in like, hey, Alicia, what's going on where you are? You know, hey, you know, what's going up top? And they give like the high level views, right? Things like that. And it made it very interesting. I thought it was kind of fun to see like a little bit of interaction with the athletes, even to the the people kind of checking in on the motorbikes and stuff like that. You can kind of see like a happy face at least or a sad face to kind of see if you, you know, you can make a uh, guess about how they were feeling out there. Um, but I thought it was it was fun because. I don't know the other gentleman that was commentating. I don't remember his name. Haley, help me. Rick Rick Allen. He's a NASCAR commentator. Okay. So him and Rowdy, obviously, like, I mean, they know sports, right? And they clearly had their their information sheets about the athletes racing in front of them and were, you know, knew a lot from kind of what you would imagine is them studying that stuff. But, like, they didn't know the sport, right? So it's like, it's just funny sometimes to hear them be like, well, what's in his hand? And Belinda's like, well, clearly that's just nutrition. Like it's a gel. And they're like, well, what kind of gel? And you're like, I don't know. It's just gel. Like chill out guys. Right. Like he's just going to eat. A I gel. love that part though. I kind of, I was skeptical about Rowdy being, you know, I know him so well from the swimming world and he does so much swimming commentating. And I was like, oh, you know, how is this going to go? Like, what does this guy know about triathlon? But actually he, I thought he asked really good questions that might bring more people into the sport. And I know some of my friends who were watching weren't triathletes and they really, I think appreciated being, you know, Rowdy being like, why is her cadence really fast and her cadence really slow? And then Belinda's there to answer the question. And I think that's actually really good because I think we do think there's certain things about triathlon that are second nature to us and they are not second nature to the general population. (laughs) I don't, do you think the general population knows what chamois cream is? (laughs) That's a good, that's a good point. They that probably didn't come don't, up in the right? broadcast, but it no. would have, it would have if I was commentating, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, I think that part, I, the broadcast was incredible. It was, it was amazing. I just, I, it was so fun to watch. It was, and it made it kind of, you know, hopefully gave us a glimpse of what hopefully could be to come in, in the future with racing and things like that. Haley, we should touch on our picks, um, from last week that we made. I think I had Annie Haug, Sarah Crowley, and Paula Finley. Whew. At least I kind of, I mean, I, I think that was the order I said that they would get it, were going to finish in. So I, I kind of, I at least got it pretty well. I mean, pretty well, right? So I'll give myself a, a B plus for that. Yeah, Paula winning and then Annie Howe getting second. Um, Laura Phillip third and Holly Lawrence fourth. So Holly was my pick for the win. And she ended up fourth. Who did I have? Oh, I had Nicholas Spearig, who ended up 10th as second. Third, I had Annie Haug, who ended up second. And then um, I want to give myself a little bit of a A plus for the Your dark, dark mare was good. <laughs> My dark yes. mare, Fenella Language. Your dark mare pick was good. I did, yeah. 
Wait, did she? Was she sixth? I should know this. I fifth think or so. I think sixth. I should, yeah. I don't have the. I don't have the like list right in front of me. Or no, seventh. It went. Then it went. It was like Amelia, then Sky, then um, Vanilla. But still. To have your dark horse come seventh, I feel like I will give myself a little pat on the back for that. But thank you, Fenella. Great job. Congratulations. But it was great racing. Let's talk about Paula's race. I mean, that we had her on the show, what was like a year and a half ago, right? And she talked about her story of of racing so well as an ITU athlete and then being almost a favorite going into the 2012 Olympics in London having terrible injuries leading up, still racing, finishing last in the Olympics. And this was eight years ago. And I think she said that when she finished, I mean, she had this dominating performance, did so well. And I think that was one of her comments on the, at the finish line was, wow, that was my best race in like 10 years, which, oh my goodness. Can you, that's just, I mean, it's like heart wrenching, right? Yeah, but it's, it's heart wrenching, but it is so inspiring. And I think you know, that's where probably the people who have been paying attention would have, you know, seen that those glimpses of races Paula has put together, not obviously in 2020, because no one's really been racing. I think if you've been watching Paula in 2020, you've been seeing her like quarantine in her garage in Canada a lot, training and doing the training that way. But, you know, when we talked to her, I, you know, I should have looked into what she was racing around that because I, it's my, my brain is too mushy to remember that. But, you know, we were starting to definitely see her come back out of her shell in racing and, you know, see these performances. I think it's not it wasn't surprising to me that she won, I would say, um, because I, I think anyone who has followed her career knows the athlete that she is. And, um, you know, I, I remember watching that, that her in 2012 and just seeing those stories. So it to see it now come full circle and to get her to, you know, to get to watch her have that moment was, I mean, it's a special moment for fans of the sport too. So that was, that was a really cool way to have the day unfold. What did you think about Annie Haug's penalty? And what did you think about her mostly? I mean, were you still running when Annie Haug was standing in the penalty tent ready to go? Because I feel like you, I wanted to like watching her sprint out of that penalty tent would have spurred me on to, probably my fastest run which is not even comparable to her fastest run but wow she was like she would look like she was about ready to run like a 5k I mean that the race on the speedway like that is just so open and it's so such long stretches that it's one of those situations where it's like easy I feel like to make it look like you're running slow because it's just like so open and it makes it look like you're not gaining ground because you don't have the stuff to like kind of be like the markers to show your speed and she was making it look like she was running fast, like really, really fast. I was like, this woman is on a tear. It was, yeah, I mean, you could just tell. And I've raced against her before and gotten to witness that running in person. And it is quite spectacular in person as well when she comes by you. I can, I can tell you um, she was coming by me because I was on a different loop than her at that moment on the course. And Fair enough. I think I got to share that moment. I think there were other women out there yesterday who got to experience that as well. So um, it, it does happen to the best of us. But I mean, I so I was I was done my run at that point. But um, it's yeah, I mean, just getting to see that, I think from it's not every day that you get to see like a, a race of that caliber broadcast like that. And um so it was, yeah, it was good. Bravo, bravo to the folks at Challenge Daytona, the PTO, all of the athletes. It w- made my Sunday very fun. And Alyssa, we have a little surprise for our listeners because 
um, I was able to catch up with the other Alyssa, Alyssa Dela, who was racing in Daytona and she finished 11th. She was the second pro American woman. She went into this race as the 58th ranked PTO woman. So she had received a special invitation to race and she really made the most of the opportunity. So Alyssa talked to me. She talked to me just a few hours after the race to tell me about how it went. And we are going to play that conversation for all of our listeners right now. You've heard Alyssa and I talk about how Form Smart Swim Goggles are revolutionizing swimming for well over a year now. With the holidays approaching, we can safely say that these are the ideal gift for any triathlete or swimmer in your life. If you or someone you know is looking to be more engaged during swim sessions and wants to take their swimming to new levels, check out Form Goggles at formswim.com or head over to their Instagram at formswim, one word, where they will be running seasonal giveaways, sharing holiday offers alongside all their great swim content. Hi, Alyssa. Welcome. Well, welcome to the Iron Women podcast and congratulations. You just finished 11th at Challenge Daytona, the PTO World Championships. How are you feeling? Pretty happy. Yeah, definitely exceeded my expectations of what I would do today. Um, and then also, you know, being an athlete, always wanting more, you know, right. so like, but yeah, I'm super happy. Oh man, I can't wait to hear about wanting more, but I, this was such a unique, it was a unique race. And I believe you finished with the fifth fastest runtime. You ran a 107.33 on this 18 kilometer or 11 mile run course, which is about 6.16 per mile. And I know you have a running background, but what did it feel like to be running through the field and really running down so many people? I think you finished only a few seconds behind the gold medalist from the London Olympics, Nicholas Spierig. Did you know what place you were in on that run? Um, on the run I did ish. Like I, people were yelling at me. So I was just hoping they were right. And kind of trying to like, you know, think in my head, like as I passed a person, like, okay, think now I'm in 14. okay. Think I'm now, in, you know, just, and just kind of trying to keep my eyes up. And so I knew that I thought I was in like 11th or 12th. So I knew that Nicholas Spierig and I don't, know if I knew who was running with her but I was just like I know that they're right there and I just could not find that next gear to get them but that also just felt kind of cool to be that close to finishing with Nicholas Berg so I mean that was pretty awesome I was watching that race and it was incredible. I think between eighth place, Sarah Svensk and yourself in 11th, it was only like 17 seconds. You all were like really oh, wow. packed in there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I could. Yeah. Did you, did it feel like it? Cause it was such a wild course where you're on that <laughs> it speedway. Was, yeah. It was really strange. I Yeah. I could see um, the woman right in front of them too. And she was really close. And it was just like, if I could just, and, and we kind of had stayed, like, pretty similarly apart for a little while. Like, I kind of got to, like, that point behind them and then just, like, could not get it to gear down one more, you know. Um, so I could see that, like, 10, 9, 8 were really close together, but I don't even think I know. Yeah, I mean, I it was just like, okay, please just finish, and then, like, if I could pass them, that'd be great, but – it just, you know, yeah, that's, I mean, it was a really close race. Yeah. Well, and we heard some of the, from some of the women afterwards that they were interviewed and they talked about how the run they thought was exceptionally hard because 
riding in that time trial position on that flat course for close to two hours. I mean, you were 158, just under two hours, really took a lot out of your legs. Did you feel that way? Yeah, I did. I just, during it, I think it kind of just, I don't know. I, I like riding, but it definitely can feel long for me sometimes. And it was kind of that feeling of like, okay, I should get off my bike now times like 10 because you didn't have any turns to like sit up and then stand up out of them or anything. Like you just, yeah, you were just down an arrow for two hours. And um, I didn't feel, I don't know if I felt that in my legs as much. Um, it did get hot too that I, that I think made it um, pretty hard. And then I'm actually really embarrassed to say this, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it because it did affect my run. I actually crashed like 400 meters from the transition area, which wow. is like insane. I'm the only person that crashed on a race track. What happened? Um, I just like was so excited to get off my bike that I was not in the moment while I was taking my left foot out of my shoe. And I honestly have no idea what happened. I just, next thing I knew I was on the ground and trying but to get my okay? chain back on. And yeah, well, yeah, I was bleeding all over the place and I have like road rash on my right side. And then they, um, they had to glue my shin back together, but after the race, but it, it was fine. It just like, I definitely was feeling it while I was running and it didn't make it more enjoyable. I'll just say that. Wow. That's actually makes it your run. I mean, I was already very impressive, but I feel like coming back from that, that like jarring kind of just change of scenery, um, from coming back and you, that, Oh, I'm so glad you're okay. And I'm, I'm glad you were still able to, to run like that. Um, what about just like the 20 meter rule? And we saw Annie Haug who finished second, get a drafting penalty. Did you, was that hard to, you know, to, to, stay 20 meters apart was it hard to pass anyone on the bike yeah it was just it just made it really interesting um like there wasn't really any like getting comfortable and just like riding I feel like it made it like very um almost like mentally challenging because you were always like 20 meters is just very it's kind of hard to gauge because we're not like used to it. And they had said that the cones were 20 meters apart, but they kind of seemed like they were too close. So it just, and then the the officials were like everywhere. So it, I felt like it made it very tense for me because I was, you know, you do, I did not want a penalty. Nobody wants a penalty. And so, but then it's, you're constantly coming up on people or people going past you because we're all going around the same two and a half mile course. So if anything, I felt like less, it was less challenging holding arrow and more challenging, just constantly paying attention and making decisions of like, cause there would be a string of five or eight women and deciding okay, when am I able to make this like huge pass? And just, yeah, it just made it tricky. Um, Yeah, it was interesting. When I was watching the broadcast at home, sometimes I could hear the commentators, like I could hear what they were saying was echoed in the, on the race course. Could you hear what the commentators were saying while you were racing? Not as much on the bike. I think maybe I could as I was coming through transition 
area. And then on the run, I could a little bit. Like, I heard when they are talking about um, Anne Hag having gotten her penalty and, like, affecting her run and stuff. So I kind of heard some things more around the transition area, I think. Um, yeah, so you could kind of hear. Mm-hmm. And you won $15,000 as finishing in 11th place. So if we, if you'd finish at 11th at the 70.3 world championships or the Ironman world championships, unfortunately 11th usually gets $0. So $15,000, very nice payday. Did that, I mean, I guess did the, did the prize money influence your decision to race? Um, yeah. I mean, especially now in COVID, you know, I don't know that we would have wanted to go to right like texas 70.3 or something when that you know before that got canceled or i i think it would have been a much bigger decision to do something with a lot smaller it this just felt like something you couldn't really turn down especially with not just the money but like the implications for getting on the collins cup team and just like because they they said it could benefit your rankings but it wouldn't hurt your rankings to do it so you know, I think all of that played into it. And, and that was kind of a hard decision for us, especially with it coming after Thanksgiving and everyone talking about how, you know, you shouldn't travel for Thanksgiving. You shouldn't see your family. You shouldn't go anywhere and all of that. Like it, I actually kind of felt really weird and kind of bad traveling down here. Um, we drove. So I felt like that made our decision a little easier too. We didn't have to fly. We didn't have to really be around anybody else. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely the money was like, well, this is a huge opportunity and just the opportunity to get to be a part of it and hopefully like get to be a part of more PTO events in the future certainly, you know, had an impact on our decision making. And how did you feel about the COVID precautions uh, around the race? We talked to Dee Dee Griesbauer last week uh, about kind of the things that were going to be in place and the plans. Did you feel like they did everything they could to keep you safe? Um, I definitely think, like, at the Speedway, and, yeah, I think they really tried. I think, um, you know, I mean, if, I don't know. Yes, I think they they tried. I don't know that it was maybe the best, necessarily, that could have been done, but I think, at the same time, like, they probably couldn't have us all come down here two weeks in advance, and, you know, that would have been a much bigger deal and ask, but... At the same time, a bubble is not really a bubble if you don't do that. So, yes, I think they tried really hard. And I, I think it seems like it has worked. And, um, you know, we all wore masks and constantly around each other. And they tested and everything. So, yeah, I think they did. I think they did the best that, you know, really could be done right now. And... Uh, how are you going to celebrate this evening? I know you are graciously giving me some of your time right after the race, but are you doing anything to celebrate and also like hopefully heal, like help with your road rash healing? Yeah, we're, um, I, I haven't showered yet, so I'm going to do that. Um, just get clean. And then, yeah, we're pretty low key people. And um, I also just, yeah, my body is a little sore right now, so I didn't really and just COVID, so we didn't really want to go out to eat. So just got some Thai takeout and some Ben and Jerry's from Target and some snacks. And I think we're just going to relax and probably watch a movie and just hang out a little bit before we have to head, head home tomorrow. 
Well, safe travels to you. Congratulations again. Enjoy that Thai food and that Ben and Jerry's. Definitely well-deserved. We wish you the best in, in your recovery as well. And, you know, enjoy this little off-season. You, you've definitely put a, like, you know, a little gold star on a very wild year. So congratulations, Alyssa. And thank you so much for, for telling me all about the race. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, Alyssa, it's quiz time. Please tell me which noon hydration product I should be drinking during the following scenarios. First up, a two hour hard bike workout. Ooh, I'd go with noon endurance because you need some carbs for that. All right, second question, an easy shakeout swim. Probably some noon sport, keep it light. What about working from home? Noon sport yet again. Final question, a three day, 16 hour fastest known time attempt on the 46 high peaks of Adirondacks. I'd definitely say noon instant for sure. All the electrolytes, please. Ding, ding, ding. You got them all right, Alyssa. And I think it's obvious there's a noon hydration product for every time in life. Iron Women podcast listeners can try them all and get 30% off using the code livefeisty at noonlife.com. Again, that's livefeisty, all one word with a capital L and a capital F. Use that code for 30% off any purchase at noonlife.com. Big thank you and congratulations to Alyssa Dela for her great race in Daytona this past weekend and giving us that really nice race debrief. Um, Alyssa actually has a really great story about her whole athletic career. So we're hoping to have her back uh, for a full profile in the coming months. Um, and also because I like it when we have two Alyssas on the show, you know, it just, it warms my heart. <laughs> And Haley, just a couple housekeeping announcements we have to tell everyone. We have the 12 Days of Feisty, you guys. It's still going on. So there are special deal deals from the Live Feisty sponsors and supporters happening for the last 12 days. And so we have a couple more days of the 12 Days of Feisty remaining. So make sure you are tuned in and paying attention to the Live Feisty social media channels where those deals are getting announced every day. So you can hop on it right away. And Haley, we have been pumping up our mailbag and we are starting to get some more questions in. So thank you to our people who have listeners, our, our people, our listeners who have been writing into the mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com and sending us the questions. We actually, since we had Alyssa on today and we have an interview coming up here for you. We are going to do some mailbags in the coming weeks, um, maybe some holiday edition themed. So send us those questions and we'll get those done. Uh, holiday themed questions. Oh, I, I think that's like a challenge to people, but um, that, uh, and, and just a quick note that all of our sponsors, you know, you can always go to ironwomenpodcast.com and check out our great sponsors. They all make great, great holiday gifts. If you need someone for that last minute shopping, um, I think they all do gift cards too, right? I mean, that's, that's about my level. Like the, the, of course, the like yeah. e-gift card that you can get like immediately. <laughs> no wrapping needed interview for you this week. And you'll, you'll recognize some of the names. We're talking to Rachel Joyce, and she is an Ironman champion, Challenge Roth champion, Kona podium finisher. She recently won the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Lifetime Achievement Award. And she's also the current PTO athlete board co-president. And we're, Rachel's going to be joined by another member of the PTO 
athlete board. And that's Sarah Piampiano Lord, another returning Iron Women podcast guest. And we talked to Sarah pre pandemic about her 2020 plans, which obviously didn't exactly pan out. But we have them on because last month the PTO announced a new maternity policy and parental leave policy. So this policy allows for women PTO professionals to both freeze their rankings and receive monthly payments for up to 15 months. So that's nine months of pregnancy and six months postpartum. And these payment amounts are based on the athlete's ranking and the PTO bonus structure at the time of the pregnancy. So this is a huge deal because many of you might remember last year's dream maternity movement that was around Nike athletes like Alicia Montano and Allison Felix that showed that even the most elite professional athletes often don't receive maternity benefits from their sponsors. And many of us are independent contractors. So if we're in the U.S., we wouldn't even be covered by the Family and Medical Leave Act's guarantee of 12 weeks of unpaid job-protected leave. So our not only are we losing money, but our jobs aren't necessarily protected. So this announcement from the PTO is a big departure from the norm. And together, Rachel and Sarah are going to walk us through this maternity leave policy from the PTO. And of course, they're also going to give us their reactions to that PTO race at Challenge Daytona this past weekend. So we'll have our conversation with Rachel Joyce and Sarah Piampiano-Lord right after the break. Alyssa, you will not believe who just bought an Orca wetsuit. Ooh, tell me. My dad. No way. I didn't even realize your dad was a swimmer. It's news to me too, but really nothing surprises me these days. I think he really liked the high visibility orange sleeves on the Orca open water core wetsuit. So with the Iron Woman 15 discount code, he ordered one from orca.com and spent less than $150. That's a great deal. If any of our listeners want to be like Haley's dad, check out the full line of wetsuits and gear for open water swimming, triathlon, and even swim run at orca.com and use that Ironwomen15 code for 15% off. Hi, Rachel and Sarah. Welcome back to the Iron Women podcast. We're super happy to have you here. And we're recording this interview just one day after the 2020 PTO World Championships that happened at Challenge Daytona. Rachel, you serve as the co-president of the PTO Athlete Board. And Sarah, you're also a PTO board member. So I'm assuming you both watched the race and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. So let's start with Rachel. What did you think of the race? Um, I loved it. I think it was a combination of a few factors that it's been kind of like a very winding path to get the PTO off the ground and then to have the first ever PTO race. And then you put it into the context of 2020 when there have barely been any races. Um, so I pretty much had race day nerves on Sunday morning. And when they did the like introduction of the women, I was like choking up. <laughs> so I was emotional, but I loved watching the race and I thought um, it was great racing two really different races between the the women's race and the men's race but I think it was both were really compelling watching and I uh, I'm probably a little biased but I have seen feedback and I think it was really it kind of went down well and Sarah what was it like from your perspective you've actually raced many of these women relatively recently did the results of the women's race surprise you at all Yes and no. I mean, I just think kind of like what Rachel was saying, as we all know, you know, this year has been such a weird year and you just didn't really know how people were going to show up. And I think 
I think this race showed that people were definitely at different levels of fitness, even though they were trying to be as prepared as possible for such a big event. It's just hard when you, when you don't race all year to, to come into an event like this. And so it was really fun because the dynamics were, um, some of the dynamics were what I expected and some of the dynamics were not at all what I expected. And so it was just great to see some people shine. And um, particularly in the men's race, there were some athletes that I actually didn't really know a lot about and that was pretty cool to see them come up through and you know other people had tougher days but I think probably most importantly I just thought it was really inspiring to watch I um you know I think like many of us it's just been a hard year from a motivation standpoint and to see uh the race actually take place and just I mean kind of like Rachel like I was getting race day nerves I was really nervous and it was it was just great to to be able to watch it all. I thought it was so interesting to get to see the pro races just isolated like that, you know, and like the women and then the men. And it's just, it was so, it was really interesting on so many levels to see like to Rachel, your point, how differently the races unfolded. And I just, you know, as I was watching the men's race, I just kept saying, being like, there's dudes everywhere. There's, you know, it just seemed like a whole, like so many of them, like all came out of the swim at once. We're all on the bike <laughs> at once. Right. And like, I think it made me really realize how important racing like that could be and having separate terms. Um, you know, we've had kind of women only Ironman stuff, but even still you're on the course with amateur athletes and it, it does, it changes the dynamics of the race. And so getting to see how the women's race unfolds when it's truly just the female pros out there racing was like, was just so valuable and so interesting to see. I, you know, that was definitely a highlight for me. I think, did it make you guys want to have, I mean, I'm trying to think, I don't think, that's, is that the first time we've really had something like that kind of, I guess there's been like the, the super sprint type of races have probably been like pro only and kind of isolated in that sense. But for long course, I'm trying to think like, am I missing something major where we've had that before? <laughs> they do it at 70.3 worlds. They do the, okay. the women one day and then the men the other day. Um, but even, you know, with 70.3 worlds, it's just, I love having the two races be completely separate. I think it just really allows both the women and the men to be showcased individually. And I think it makes for a very fair racing. So I was, I have to say, I was really interested to see how everything played out because it was on the Daytona track, right. And it's completely flat course. And I didn't know how, you know, how that was going to come into play versus something, you know, a course that was a lot hillier or would potentially break up the field a little bit more. So that definitely was pretty interesting. And, and I think it showed that the 20 meter draft rule does make a significant difference to the dynamic of the race and having those cones out uh, meant you didn't really have, if you were racing, you didn't really have an excuse to kind of slip into the draft zone. But I think going in into Daytona, there was a lot of talk that it was going to be, the ITU athletes were going to really dominate. But I think having that longer draft zone was a bit was an equalizer and that's why you could see a real mix it wasn't all long course athletes finishing at the front or all short course athletes it was a real mix so it kind of allowed it was very pure racing from my my perspective you know it was the best combination performer of the day in a New York Times article that was published last week, it suggested the PTO is planning a race series with four major individual competitions and an annual team event. So we're assuming the team event is the Collins Cup, which is on the calendar for May 2021 in Slovakia. But does the reference to four major individual competitions suggest that what we just saw in Daytona 
was not a one-time thing. I mean, can either of you offer any insight into the PTO's future race plans? Um, that, I mean, that's definitely the 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 long, well, the, I would say the medium-term vision, because I think what that the New York Times um, article really highlighted was, and what Daytona kind of was an example of, is uh, you the needs at the moment that there isn't really an incentive to get all the best athletes in one place because financially it just doesn't make sense because you're not really rewarded and you might lose bonuses if you do always choose to go to those most competitive races and so I think um it's it kind of replicated the idea is it will ultimately draw in all the best triathletes in the world those four times a year so you can kind of build those rivalries and those stories um it's, it was in the New York Times article, so Sarah, I don't think I'm giving anything away. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you're giving anything away, but I was waiting to hear what you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's the plan, and um, you know, similar to other sports, like if you look at tennis, there's you know a few major races every year, the Austra- or competitions, the Australian Open, the U.S. Open, um, the French Open, and Wimbledon. Those are all big major events that. Um, draw the best athletes. And I think that um, we definitely look at some of these other sports and want to emulate that to some extent and create a platform where we're going to be really, be, really be drawing um, all of the best athletes across all the different disciplines um, to these specific races. So And the PTO has been making a lot of news recently, including last month's announcement of paid maternity and parental leave for PTO professionals. So, Rachel, it's my understanding that you're the architect of this new policy. So can you tell us a little bit about the creation of the policy and why it was a priority for the PTO? Uh, I'll put my hand up. I wasn't exactly the architect. (laughs) (laughs) I was somewhat involved. Um, Honestly, this was from the very outside outset it was I think a priority of of the the whole board and um you've probably heard the name Charles Adamo before and it was definitely something that he prioritized having spoken to a lot of athletes going around and um then having had my experience in 2017 and like you know having had a a baby and just seen other sports it's 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 when you make that decision you're taking a risk and you take a massive financial uh well I kind of financially not that that would have ever decided my decision but it was a big financial hit I lost huge contracts and when I came back to racing in 2017 I was even though I won races I was earning just a lot less than I had been in 2015 when I had been uh, a Hawaii podium thing. So there was a part of me that was like, this is, this has to be a a priority. And I think that was shared by um, Sarah and Meredith and everyone on the board, really. Um, So it's good to see. And I'm really pleased that it's going to take effect immediately. So um, the baby boom of 2020, all the women will benefit from it uh, immediately. Right, because Sarah, it's hard to believe we talked to you earlier this year. And <laughs> at that time, you were preparing for the Boston Marathon, the Collins Cup, and Kona. 
uh, all races that didn't happen, but it wasn't the pandemic that kept you out of Challenge Daytona this past weekend because you're actually pregnant with your first child. So first, we have to say congratulations. And second, what does this maternity leave policy mean to you as an athlete? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I made the decision to get pregnant. Um, My husband and I made the decision you know, not knowing that there was going to be this maternity leave policy in place or anything like that. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of things that we're trying to do within um, the PTO and it just, you know, you never know how long these things are going to take, but um, you know, I share in Rachel's sentiments, which is I personally actually had planned to wait until after uh, my career was over to try to have a kid because it's hard, right? Like you take a huge financial hit and Um, while in some instances that necessarily hopefully wouldn't be a consideration, it is right. Like you have to be able to support yourself and you have to be able to support your child after you have the baby. And so, um, we had made the decision to kind of wait and when COVID happened, it really presented an opportunity, but with the new, um, maternity policy, we just, honestly, it's like a huge load off my shoulders because I think that one of the things you see, not just in triathlon, but in all professional sports is women just racing to get back into competition, you know, whether it's because of the contracts they have with their sponsors or because simply they need to be supporting themselves financially. They're just literally like having the baby. And you, I know of women that are like back training six days later and, you know, childbirth is a, from what I understand, like pretty, (laughs) pretty intense and, and thing in it and it really ravages your body whether you do it naturally or you have a c-section and um this policy is just i mean it brings tears to my eyes because it makes you feel like you can actually take care of the health of yourself and the health of your child first and foremost and come back to racing in a time that's going to be you know healthy for your body and and reasonable so it's it's really significant yeah and just to sorry do you mind like just to piggyback off that like if, I mean, Sarah and I both worked, uh, you know, office jobs prior to this. And it just being an athlete is so different because you have the nine months when you're like growing this baby. It's not like you can kind of gone race to your absolute potential. You know, some people do race and that's great. But I don't I think it would be very difficult to race to your you know, you at your best, have your best performance while however months pregnant. So I like I like that you're kind of protected in that nine, nine, ten months um, up to having birth. And like Sarah said, then you don't have this like, well, I've already not raced for nine months. I haven't been paid for nine months. I better be on a start line in three months time. Um, so there's an added um, just t- removes a little bit of the in. Um, the uncertainty around having a baby. And I, I can just say to, you know, now having experienced, gone through two trimesters of pregnancy, obviously everybody is a little bit different, but I mean, there is no way that I could have raced, you know, very early on in pregnancy, just in terms of how I was feeling and where I was at with, you know, being able to train and things like that. So again, I mean, having that policy in place while you're actually pregnant and then afterwards is huge. Right, because it is a, it's a 15-month or up to 15 months uh, for nine months of pregnancy, six months postpartum. And you said that, I, I think this was mentioned, that it is effective this year, right, immediately. So even though the r- rankings right now are already frozen and the annual bonus payments were already made, it will still benefit athletes like Sarah who are pregnant right now. Is that right? 
Yeah. So yeah, it's coming into effect in January. Yeah. So you can effectively have being paid the bonus early was could count as the first however months of Sarah's maternity leave. And then because the bonus was paid early, the first maternity leave compensations will start January the first. Okay. It's a little bit of a weird year for everyone, even for yeah. even for maternity leave policies. Yes. And this policy also includes a compassionate leave policy, which allows for six months of paid leave for women PTO professionals who suffer a miscarriage after 14 weeks of pregnancy. So Rachel, can you speak a little bit to why it was important for the PTO to include the compassionate leave as part of this maternity policy? Um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, th th it's that recognition that, um, being pregnant, uh, there was two sides of it. Like if you've got, got to 14 months, you've been over, you've been pregnant for over three, three months. So it's unlikely you will have raced during that time. And, um, many of us on the board have gone through miscarriage at various points. And I think we, it was, it was recognize that okay it's it's you know when you go through a miscarriage it's a trauma to the body but also it's an emotional upheaval and so we wanted to give women who do go through that from 14 weeks and onwards um that's uh kind of I don't know the nothing's going to make it better but just take some of that pressure of like you've just had this machine uh this huge emotional trauma and now you've got to worry about getting back on the race course within six months otherwise sponsors might be asking questions um like if if we can you know if the pto can offer some support in that situation we wanted to be able to do that and so um by no means women don't have to take the full six months and I would imagine many will be you know might want to just take less than that and then you know part of their uh, way of handling it might be to kind of dive back into training but others will want to take the full six months and it, it is available to them yeah and the full policy is written as a maternity and a parental leave policy. So the parental leave policy provides any PTO professional with a four-month freeze in their PTO ranking if they become the parent of a child less than one year old. So this sounds like it would benefit male PTO professionals as well as any athlete who adopts a child under 12 months of age. Is that right? I guess either one of you who wants to answer that one. Yeah, that is right. And um, it's actually something like beyond just the compensation that, you know, is important to touch on, which is that our rankings will get frozen because you see in a lot of sports people, uh, women who take time out to have a baby, they just plummet in terms of their world ranking. And then they have to, you know, work their way back up. And so one of the great benefits of this that applies not just to women but to men as well, um, in terms of all encompassing the parental leave aspect is this idea that your rankings will get frozen for a period of time that, and allowing you to kind of take a break from competition to be able to focus on your family. In kind of breaking pregnancy news from the last few days, <laughs> Alephine Tuliamuk, the winner of this year's U S Olympic marathon trials, just announced her own pregnancy in an article in sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated, Alephine says she plans to be very fit, defy the odds, and have an amazing race in the Olympic marathon at the Tokyo 2021 Games, which will hopefully happen about six months after her due date. 
Sarah, you've also been very open about chronicling your own pregnancy and training via social media. So do you think this type of representation is important and having other women kind of stepping up and into the limelight and, you know, just kind of putting their plans out there and, and, you know, um, just embracing it. For sure. You know, and I think that having goals post-pregnancy is really important. And I think it's pretty amazing that, you know, she is putting it out there and, and setting some high standards for herself. Um, I actually have had the opportunity to talk to her a little bit. She and I have um, messaged back and forth. And, you know, I think the other thing though, is she's just kind of respecting what her limitations are right now and, and appreciating what her body is going through. But, um, also just kind of like mentally getting herself prepared to, to be able to put her best foot forward for the Olympics. But, you know, I feel the same way, you know, I'm going into this, I have, I've qualified for Kona already, um, for next year, just by virtue of it rolling over. And, um, I have high expectations for, you know, what I hope to do next year. And, um, so I'm not sitting here training, thinking, thinking about reaching those goals right now. You know, I go out and do my nine minute mile runs right now. And, uh, my hundred watt rides, but uh, I'm not really focused on performance, but I think definitely having goals is, is an important thing. I was just as an aside, I was listening to a podcast with Liz McColgan's daughter and she's hoping to go to Tokyo 2021. And that's actually 30 years since her mom, Liz McColgan won a gold medal um, on the track when when Eilish was less than a year old so it's funny that like, you can forget these like amazing role models in sport and Liz is such a tough you know kind of talented and hard-working woman and she was doing it 30 years ago uh, but probably for the same reason she probably was worried she needed like I listened to the podcast and she needed to earn the money to, to support her family um, but yeah I'm excited to see what Alphine does. <laughs> Maybe that's I mean, one, I think, oh, sorry, one benefit of social media is we get to see it more. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. And, and I think honestly, what part of what has given me the strength and the courage actually to do this is seeing other women, particularly within our sport, do it because it's really quite Rachel, you included, you know, it's a very intimidating to think, about having a kid and then trying to come back and compete at this really high level and to see the examples of women before us that have done it or the women that are doing it now, it's, you know, this woman, you know, Alephini, she just won the Olympic trials and she's going to the Olympics and trying to have this amazing race. And here she is also having a child. Like it's very inspiring to me to see that and to see women, you know, feel comfortable with pursuing their family um, dreams and hopes. And then also, you know, still putting themselves out there in terms of what they want to accomplish athletically. So one criticism we've heard of the PTO maternity leave policy is that the higher ranked women are eligible for larger payments. Those are the same women who are likely to receive sponsor support. So based on the 2020 bonus payout, a woman ranked fifth in the PTO rankings would be eligible for monthly payments of $5,000, but a woman ranked 51st would receive just over $400 a month. Do you think the payment structure will really help keep women in the sport or is this more likely to help women who already have the most support? Maybe Rachel, you can take a stab at that. Um, I think it, I mean, the, the rationale behind it was, um, it's based on your ranking. So it's, um, 
it's fairly it's kind of compensating an athlete for how they've performed up to that date and I, I can understand that um you know, in in a, a perfect world, the the pockets would be deeper, and every woman would get paid more. But um, it we it, it is uh, linked to a woman's position in the rankings, and so it's about loss of potential earnings. And so, someone who's ranked fiftieth just wouldn't be losing the same. I don't know if that's explained it very well, but um, it's say, uh, I, I don't know what the good comparison is. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be, or you could look at it the other way that it would be unfair to to actually increase it. it yeah, it, well, it's not, it's unfair to, for everyone else in the rankings if 50th suddenly got a huge pay rise because they've gone on maternity leave. Um, I think because it is ultimately is a professional triathletes organization and it is linked to performance. That's why maternity leave is based on what the athletes would earn. And the good thing is if you are ranked 50th, maybe you don't, your support isn't as much because you haven't been earning as much based on your performance, but at least you come back at 50th. And then if you keep performing well, then you're not having to work your way back to 50th and then hope to get into the top 10. Uh, you'll maintain that 50th position and you have the opportunity to move up the rankings following um, your maternity leave. I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it, it was always linked to potential earnings based on your ranking. And also I would say, you know, like if you are just generally in the corporate world, and there's a female that's making $200,000 a year and another female who's making 60,000, they both go out on maternity leave. The woman who's making 60,000 is going to earn her maternity leave based off of what her, you know, current salary is. And the woman who's making 200,000 is going to earn her maternity leave based off of that. So um, they're both earning maternity leave, but it's just going to be based off of sort of like where they're at within their career and what their career position is. Um, so. Depending on where you work and what state you live yeah. in and who your employer is, <laughs> you might Very both be true. making zero. <laughs> Very true, Haley. <laughs> Very true. But I mean, I guess that would be like the reasonable analogy. Um, so, yeah, so I think you go ahead. You put it better than I did, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you. No, I think that's. I think that clarifies it, right? To just keep in mind that it's linked to the potential earnings and you know, that, that is definitely something to, um, yeah, just to keep in mind, it's easy to kind of skew it the other way when people say, but they're just giving, you know, women at the top more like, no, there's, you know, thought and reason behind it. That, that does make sense. So, um, some of our listeners are professional athletes, but we'd guess most of them are amateur athletes or fans of the sport. So, if they loved following Challenge Daytona this weekend and they really appreciate the PTO and this maternity policy, is there anything that they can be doing to support the PTO? So, Sarah, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely just becoming engaged with the PTO as much as possible. Um, you know, following us on social media, um, participating and, and watching the races. Um, you know, the race yesterday was broadcast live on television as well as live stream. Um, so just kind of becoming an active participant is something that would be important, but then also just sending along feedback, right? Like we are very much evolving and, um, 
the maternity leave policy came out of uh, a subcommittee that um, we created from the board and you know we have other subcommittees. And so if people have feedback or they have things that they wanna see or they have ideas, we're really open to, um, to that right now because we want to try to create a platform that feels really fair and um, people are excited about and can really get behind. So, you know, from our standpoint, the more feedback, the better. And um, we'd, we'd really appreciate that. Rachel, yeah. do you have anything to add? Um, a slightly, uh, one way that I'm, this week I'm actually going to be talking to um, a woman who's been in touch and said, you know, she wants to support, uh, she has certain expertise and that happened to kind of fit quite nicely with one of the subcommittees where we're trying to support athletes who are coming towards the ret their retirement in the sport. And she's got skills in helping build resumes and uh, give tips on interviews. So even like uh, kind of if, if you have time and that's what you can give and you see, you know, well, we have certain subcommittees. It's always worth like dropping an email and say, hey, I've got this skill. Could it be helpful? Because what we're trying to do that we're only like it's literally one year since we formed and we are hoping to build up these kind of um, other support networks for athletes, both at the beginning of their career during the middle of their career when people are looking for sponsors and then that support, which is really lacking at the moment um, when you actually leave the sport too. And we do want to finish by thanking you both for joining us on the show today. We really appreciate you providing this background on the PTO's maternity and parental leave policies, as well as kind of telling us about your your initial reactions to Challenge Daytona. And this is sort of a, a cheesy final question, but you are both incredibly accomplished athletes. You're a mom and a mom-to-be and PTO board members. So we'd love to finish by asking just what you're looking forward to in 2021. I think we should start with Sarah since it might be a pretty obvious <laughs> answer, but <laughs> any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the birth of our child in February is – Something I'm really looking forward to, but I have to say I'm totally terrified <laughs> as well. Um, we just got a new puppy, and the puppy is very overwhelming for me. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like when the child comes. <laughs> but, yeah, and I think, um, you know, I'm feeling – I was not very optimistic about 2020 in general, and I'm feeling a lot more optimistic about 2021 and the return to racing and a little bit more of a normal way of life. And I – I mean, I am so excited about having a baby and the birth of our child, but I also am just really looking forward to having the opportunity to see people again and um, just get back out onto the race course and, and really kind of continue to pursue our passions. And Rachel, what about you? Are you looking forward to anything personally? Or maybe do you have any hints that you can drop about upcoming PTO-related announcements planned for the new year? <laughs> um I don't actually. <laughs> That's, That's okay. Uh, Yesterday was big. Yesterday was big. That that buys me some time for sure. Um, on a personal, I'm really looking forward to hopefully being able to fly to England. Um, I've kind of missed uh, being able to see family and friends over there, and especially because the boys are growing so quickly. Like I really wanted them to see their kind of grandparents and um, cousins and stuff, and then my sport to kind of satisfy my sporting edge. I'm really looking forward to events coming back on. I was entered for Leadville 100 this year and I have got my entry for this summer. So 
Um, I'm going to do some alter. I, I'll probably be um, in touch, Alyssa, with <laughs> lots of questions. How to run on trails? Because at the moment, I'm like a granny going down there. <laughs> I see your Strava. You're going to be fine, Rachel. You're going to be totally fine. <laughs> on a, a long straight road, I'm great. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's another thing to look forward to. Well, thank you both for coming on, letting us pry for some gossip and just catching up and sharing all of the news with us today. So um, we really appreciate what you're doing for the PTO and we'll catch up with you both soon. Thanks for having us Thanks on. Thanks so much. Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com for 15% off and use Zelio's products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. Haley, in addition to the policy itself, I think it's just, you know, it's, I don't know if meaningful or special or just, you know, kind of really like humbling to see these women who are in the midst of their careers or, you know, and are working so hard with the PTO board to put these policies in place and be making triathlon better for the people who will be racing after them, right? I mean, a lot of these women probably and, you know, men who are on the PTO board may not see the the fruits of their labor really for much longer, if at all. So I'm just very encouraged by and inspired by them who are doing this hard work. It is very, very hard work to do this stuff. And um, so appreciative of them, Rachel and Sarah, especially who came on to chat with us about it today and just the work that they're doing. And, um, you know, it's, I guess it's leaving me more hopeful for the future and the, the female triathletes to come. Right. The sport as a continuing entity, I think it's, it's pretty neat to see someone like Rachel who learned from her experience, took what was, you know, noticed what was hard for her and, kind of help to work, you know, make these changes. And then we're actually seeing someone like Sarah benefit from that, like not too much longer. And so that's, that does take a special person for, for Rachel to have done that, but it's also special that Sarah is still continuing to work on it. And I think it does, it is hopeful that the sport will be left in a better place. So, um, big thanks to them. And thanks to Alyssa Dela for, again, for her, uh, insight from challenge Daytona. I think I'm still going to be buzzing through all my workouts this week, uh, just from how much fun it was to watch that race. And it got me excited for a day when, you know, we can race and we can travel more freely than we are right now. And it will be, a special, special, special times, Alyssa, Alyssa Godusky. And I hope we, I hope you and I get to race again sometime. That would be fun. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think we will. I'm, I'm still hopeful about that too. And Haley, the 12 days of feisty continues for the next few days. So if you need a hot deal, make sure you're checking those out on social media. And also we're, I, I called it, we're doing our holiday edition mailbag. So send us your mailbag questions, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And 
around this holiday season. If you want to give back to us, you can also leave a rating or review on your podcast app of choice. That really does help us too. Oh, a five-star rating or like a nice review is the ultimate. That is such the ultimate 2020 holiday. I saw Betty's review the other day. Thank you, Betty, for that nice review. Oh, I haven't seen that. I couldn't believe you hadn't done it sooner than though, (laughs) Betty, to be honest. (laughs) I need you to look right now. I'm going to look right when we have the phone. But um, Alyssa, have a great week. I will talk to you soon. Bye, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Zilio Skincare, Noon Hydration, Orca Sportswear, Gooder Sunglasses, as well as our Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find all website links and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com. Listener.